What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Black Menaces Podcast. I'm your host. I'm your host, Nate, and this is my other host, Rachel Weaver. So glad to be back with you guys today again for the podcast. Apparently, I'm also your hoe. So <laughs> <laughs> yes, mates, ah. be a hoe. I, I don't know. Can I be a hoe and also be married? I certainly. Um, I mean, I could. You can be a hoe I, for one person. That's true. I'm a hoe for period. My wife. <laughs> I am my wife's hoe. Yes, <laughs> love to see it. Oh man, we're gonna kick things off with a menace moment, menaces yep. in history, whatever we call it. Yes. Yeah, so for our menace moment, menace in history today, uh, I'm going to highlight Ella Baker, and if you haven't heard about her, we're gonna educate you real quick. So Ella Baker was born in 1903, and she was really a big part of the civil rights movement, but she was kind of a behind the scenes organizer, um, and her career spanned over five decades during the movement. And something really interesting about her is she graduated valedictorian from her college, Shaw University in North Carolina in 1927. That's awesome. That's very impressive. I'm nowhere nowhere near that at any point in my life. Um, But in the 1930s, she joined the staff of the NAACP, but resigned in 1947 after becoming the national director um, for a few different branches because of the bureaucracy that she saw in the NAACP. So she was already on that. I'm not participating um, in that kind of crap. Um, So then in 1957, she helped form the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, which um, Martin Luther King Jr. became the first president of, and she served alongside him as the director of the conference. And then in the 19, in 1916, she ended up leaving, um, the conference, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, to help form the Student Nonviolence Coordinating Committee, which participated in many nonviolent protests in the South during the Civil Rights Movement, which we all know as SNCC, um, which that's like their um, acronym version, which you've, if you know anything about the Civil Rights Movement, you've heard that organization all over. Um, she ended up dying in 1986 at the age of 83, and some even call her the mother of the Civil Rights Movement because she was involved with so much at so many different times in her life, and she was just very influential, and um, I'm pretty sure she was in New York at one point, in Harlem, and then she came down to the South, so she was all over, and I think it's really cool to highlight women in the civil rights movement because a lot of the times their stories and they are pushed aside and a lot of times um, the male leaders were great and did wonderful things, but a lot of times they're the only ones highlighted when we know there are women behind the scenes and everything. So mm-hmm. love you, Ella Baker, and thank you. Yeah, and that's actually like, that's why we decided to talk about it today because you want to talk about what you were talking about yesterday? Was it you or was it Kylie who was talking about how like, you know, patriarchy and the civil rights movement how like we know that somebody was keeping all them dudes fed. oh that was yeah i said that well this past um semester during the in the january starting in january i started taking a class um a civil rights seminar that byu offers and as i was learning about the civil rights movement you know i feel like i just thought like where are the women like where are the women writing i know that they're involved like why are there so so many men who were talked about and I know that they did really important things but I know there are women who also were just as important I mean they were in all the photos and also with these men traveling back and forth to different parts of the United States who's watching their kids who is keeping these men fed as they move from place to place who is who are the people organizing during the Montgomery boycott 
all of these things. You know, I know that the men were speaking out a lot of these things, but the women knew the schedules. They knew who was doing what when, who needed to be where when. And so I personally, um, I always love when I get to learn about women in the movie because I know they were really the movers and the shakers on the ground, those grassroots movements that needed to happen to organize things with the church you know, we know the church was kept afloat by, you know, the pastor, but also the women were the ones who were the backbone of a lot of congregations as well. So mm-hmm. I don't think it was uh, I don't think it was the, the, the men who were organizing, you know, those kids walking out of school. No. And, and you know, wrangling them all up and protesting in the streets. Uh, and not at like all. But yeah, I, I had never honestly, and it's sad. I had never really thought about that until recently. Like, why do we not talk about the women of the civil rights movement? You mm-hmm. know, and I had known a few stories, but yeah, we do need to talk more about. Uh, we need to talk more about Coretta Scott. We need to talk more okay. about Ella Baker. We need to talk more about um, Claudette Colvin. You know, yeah. Said, like I think the only woman we ever really talk about is Rosa Parks. We mm-hmm. don't actually talk about her. We just talk about what she did. So yeah, and just yeah, and how black women have always been people who have gotten their education. They haven't let you know sexism stop them in that way. I mean, they mm-hmm. have barriers, but they have always been the ones to speak up against it as well. Um, Something that I think is really cool about Coretta Scott King, I've heard, I heard her daughter Bernice King speak last month, and she said that without Coretta Scott King, there would be no MLK Jr. recognition. There would be no day for him. She's the one who fought in the government to have his holiday recognized on a federal level. She is the one who made his foundation be what it is, his legacy. His memory would not be, I mean, a lot of people knew about him, but where it is today and the recognition that he has, it wouldn't be a the capacity it wouldn't be as far it wouldn't be this far without her because she is the one who fought after he died to keep that legacy alive and his history pure there you go and she also put up with a lot and like we know mlk wasn't perfect nope he was a dog to be honest but honestly i just i was talking with my roommate about this last night mm-hmm. that um i don't know if you know but mlk cheated on his wife multiple um times. multiple times during you know those days he was traveling and she like had a coma part when i told her dominique she was like what she, she like fell back in her chair and i was like yes i thought everyone knew this like mm-hmm. everyone knew mlk cheated on his wife girl what yeah. you know we we like we paint this picture of and that's another thing too like in history especially in you know in predominantly white universities and institutions we paint this idea that the civil rights was this rosy time where everything was just really you know happy-go-lucky and you know i, I understand the you know the need to portray the positive image of martin luther king and mm-hmm. the things that he did uh, but we also have to recognize the humanity there i guess not to say that like cheating is human but just to say that this was just he was a person right he's not some god figure that we need to like put up there and say oh we need to you know do everything that this man did because he did a lot of wonderful things yes he did a lot of good things um but there were also a lot of people that were right there alongside him doing the same things Mm -hmm. making the same things happen it wasn't just martin luther king um you know it was coretta scott it was ella baker it was malcolm x it was john what's the lawyer's name lewis john lewis i'm sorry i love john lewis yeah all those people you know doing so many of the same things so um, yeah, we just need to remember that these people are human and that we are the same as they are. We can do the same things. It doesn't take some special ability nope. to, to be a menace. All you got to do is just nope. be passionate and want to do something, right? That's that's how we got started. Yep. We just regular <laughs> now look at us <laughs> right. on a podcast talking to you. Right. Now I got a podcast I got to deal with. I don't know how to podcast. Give <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the people what they want. Not yeah. just kidding. For real. Catch me a couple weeks ago. I've been trying to eat this microphone. but I'm know. dead. <laughs> 
<laughs> now nah, you know since I paid for it, it's all expensive, right? And fancy. Yeah. Um, jumping into it, I guess. What's the answer to this question? It's been sitting in our inbox for a while, so we'll go ahead and answer it. Rachel, what's a good fake name for this person? Um, we don't care about gender. Uh, Dallin. Dallin, I love it. I don't, I don't know That's the Dallin. most basic name in Utah. Don't be calling names basic. I'm gonna, sorry. I keep saying that. No, I'm not going to offend anyone. My name is basic, so I'm not upset about it. It's not offensive to me okay, because my name is basic. Just Rachel. remember, guys, we choose to be offended. <laughs> <laughs> people who are LDS, if you're listening, you know what that reference is oh, yeah. for. Because remember, we have not LDS mm-hmm. listeners. I never remember how problematic. Okay, so basically, <laughs> to explain that, that reference, a little inside joke, uh, there is a church leader who gave a talk a long time, well, eh, 10, 15 years ago, where basically he was talking about um, people who who stopped associating themselves with the church because of something that happened that was offensive. Um, and he said that basically we choose to be offended, right? Like being like, offended is a choice. That sounds like you chose that the, you chose to be upset by segregation. That's what that right. sounds like to yeah. me. Like, That's, huh? Yeah. So basically members of what? the church have weaponized that. And so when so they'll much. say things, you know, not everyone, but some people have weaponized it to where they'll say things that are very disrespectful, offensive, rude, racist. And then when people react to it, they'll say, oh, well, you choose to be offended, you know. Or so. people choose to, you know, not go to a church because people have said offensive comments to them. And they're like, you're choosing to be offended. Right. And it's like, that's not how that works. There's like, no accountability on your part. Yeah, exactly. It takes all the accountability off of the person. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, yeah, we could go into that a lot. But basically, that's what we were saying. You choose to be offended. It's, you know, yeah, you do. But no, that's not how that works. Okay. okay. Anyway, this person, Dallin, says... How do I handle a Republican family that often says very offensive remarks when discussing politics? Quotes. These people have been my world for 26 years, and as I learn and lean further left, I'm seeing a side of my family I never noticed before. I'm so disappointed in them, but I don't want to cut them out. I try to speak up, but I'm still looked at as the kid of the family, so I am met with scoffs. I also have anxiety and can't handle conflict. I'm sure other people in our generation are dealing with this, too. I guess I'm wondering your opinions on this situation as people of color. Am I doing enough to be anti-racist when I can't even stand up to my own family? Ooh, that's a heavy one. Mm-hmm. And family is tough. It's tough because there's so much, like, your identity is tied up in your family. Right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's who you grew up with. Those are the people that you know, the people that you're closest to, the people you're most afraid of losing. And um, it can be tough to reconcile when they have um, ideas or, or thought processes or mindsets or actions that don't go with with what you believe. I mean, you know, in some things that's okay to look past, but when it comes to just like basic human issues, um, that's where it starts to get tough, especially when, when those opinions are radicalized. I have some experience with this. Um, you know, my, my parents have become increasingly more conservative as they've gotten older uh, but in addition to that they've also become like increasingly more i don't know like radical black i guess would be mm. the best way to put it um yeah which you know, is where you know like there's if you there's, don't know the black community i feel like you won't know what we're talking about yeah they they've gone the I way know exactly of, what you're talking about. we'll just say that they've gone the way of youtube <laughs> You know, we'll just say that. They've gone the way of YouTube. I'm sorry, that makes me laugh every time you said that. <laughs> they, are, uh, they are YouTubians. 
YouTube being black. So if, you, if you know, you know. If you don't know, then you know, just you'll figure it out eventually. But um, a lot of the ideas that they that they have now, um, you know, some of them are, are not bad, but a lot of them are are a bit radical, a bit extreme, and just kind of go against some of the things that I believe. Um, they are also pretty homophobic, to say the least. And um, you know, when I when I left home. I was 17 when I came to college. I left home, and I had a lot of the same belief systems and ideas. Now they've gotten like more, um, they've kind of gone more down that road since I left. Mm. But coming out, I had to learn and kind of become my own person, right? Because I shared a lot of the same ideas that they did. And then once I kind of saw the way that things were in the world, I was like, well, hold on, this doesn't line up with what I was taught at home, and this doesn't make a lot of sense like this is this isn't this doesn't line up with what i'm seeing you know this gay person i was taught that hey this person chose to be this way and that this is a mental illness and that i should avoid these people and then i like actually interacted with members of the lgbt community and i'm like no this is a person and this is something that they didn't choose this is so this is just who they are and why why do i care so much about that right and so i had to realize no no, no i need to treat this person like a person i need and so you know my my journey in becoming an ally in that way um and becoming a feminist right because i came out i was mad hotep you know just you know. <laughs> <laughs> explain was, hotep to people yeah, who are not black <laughs> we're giving you all the terminology today so hotep uh i can't i laugh at hotep <laughs> Man, I remember the first time I got called Hotep. I was so upset. Wait, and who called you Hotep? Melody. I believe she was. That's exactly <laughs> why I thought I called you Hotep. That's exactly who I thought called you Hotep. Melody is a, an, um, a black student who graduated uh-huh. in 2018. My fragile male feelings were hurt. <laughs> you calling me fake? I'm not fake. <laughs> These women, bro, they always try to like be. I was like, like I was, I was trifling. That's trifling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Hotep, basically, you, um, it's like a, it's a predominantly black term. Yeah. For, let's go to Urban Dictionary. I'm going to look it up. Know, let's do that. I'm going to look up Hotep because I feel like just, it's let the. Let me pull it up right here. It's the best. Hotep Urban Dictionary. What we got? Okay. Oh, no. So let's see. Hotep. One of the, okay. Okay, so this, this is good. <laughs> you got the same one I do. One of yeah, them. Uh huh. You want to read it? Okay. <laughs> this is Urban Dictionary, but I feel like it captures it well. Uh-huh. It says one of them super woke niggas who can't go more than a few seconds without bringing up a conspiracy theory about air quote the white man generally seen wearing African clothing and pretends to be wise and peaceful yet is high key anti-Semitic AF. Arguing and debating with the hotep is nearly impossible due to the constant, constant vague references about the white man that never have anything to do with the topic of effing conversation. <laughs> yeah, so... Oh, oh, hold on. We got to read the example. Hold on. Okay. Oh, okay. You want to be the me and I'll be the hotep? Yeah. Draw my former... Okay, me. My back hurts a little. See, that's because the white man got you and people who look alike, who look like you working like a slave, our ancestors, while they get all the money. It's modern day slavery. That's why you're back hurt. And I sit and look at this person like, or I just slept wrong. No, see, the reason you slept wrong was because the white man <laughs> built your bed. Built your and, the, bed and the white and man, they crooked. built the bed for the white <laughs> 
they built it for the white man only. And you're like, whoa. And Hotep, when someone calls you Hotep, it's also because normally these type of, it's normally a black man. I've never mm-hmm. described a black woman as a Hotep. They also refuse to recognize their misogyny mm-hmm. and how patriarchy affects the black community or homophobia affects the black community. Like They only focus on like the black issues, but it's like a black male perspective only. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So when I say the way of YouTube, this is it's in that same <laughs> that same uh, yeah. strain, right? They've kind of gone this just way. extreme. My uncle is also this way. Bless his heart. He Dang. Got, once he he once got on my my Facebook like a few years ago. He actually blocked me on Facebook because he <laughs> wasn't black enough. <laughs> you weren't black but, enough. Yeah. He's like, bro. I hate when black people he's act like, like that. I was like, I'm, you know, like, I was like, I was joking with him. I was like, you know, uncle, I'm woke. And he's like, no, nah, nephew, you need to be aware. Being woke is not enough. And then he blocked me. Like, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is makes this is not making fun of these people. We're laughing because it's just it's there's ridiculous. it's ridiculous, yeah. and there's mm-hmm. nothing else. Like you can't, you really can't talk with these people, and it's hard to discuss with them. Yeah. And personally, me, hotep men, I don't interact with hotep black men. No. Mm-hmm. Literally not because yeah. I have to. I have to be with a feminist. Very misogynoir, as mm-hmm. they say. But okay, so, yeah. sorry. Back to you in your uh, hotep days. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we went way off. Yeah. So anyway, back in my hotep days, I you know I wasn't like extreme, extreme, but you know I was out here wearing shirts that said, "Well, we're not gonna get into that." But yeah, I was corny, basically. This is a we very, should. This is a very corny. Yeah. Time of life for me, um, but. Yeah, anyway, I had to come out and I had to, to learn how things were. I had to become more of an ally. I had to become more of a feminist. And I'm still learning, right? There's still things that I don't think about on a regular basis just because of my privilege as a male mm-hmm. um, and things like that that I still got to figure out and learn. But the difference between me then and me now is that I'm like trying to learn, right? Then I was like so sad. I was like, no, this is how things are and this is the way that I should think. But I'm learning more to, um, to be more flexible in my thinking. But anyway, getting back to this question, um, you know, as I learned more about uh, who I was and how the world is and how people are, um, you know, I, I kind of distanced myself from my family's way of thinking, or from my parents' way of thinking. And it's tough to try and talk with your family about this because it's, that's your family, you know. And so I, I tried to have these conversations. They didn't go over very well. To be perfectly honest, due to other circumstances, which we will not talk about at this time, I uh, I don't talk with my with my father anymore, and he's kind of like the the ringleader of the whole, you know. Um, I still talk with my mom a little bit, and you know, every once in a while, she, when we're talking, she'll get on on some tangent about the white man or or you know the government or or something like that, and you know, some of the things I agree with, some of them I think are you know not true. Um, but I always find myself not really talking about it or not really like trying to address those issues because I feel in my head it's just better to just let it go, right? To just kind of like maintain that relationship with my mother um, rather than try and like argue um, a point. And so I guess, you know, there are other ways to be anti-racist. There are other ways to be feminist. There are other ways to be an ally than, you know, dealing with your family. Um, I don't know. This is a tough yeah. question because it's like I get the feeling of like feeling like you're kind of a hypocrite, but then also not wanting to end that relationship with your family. Mm-hmm. And so I guess you just kind of have to weigh how serious it is. Right? Yeah, that's your family. 
Um, you know, if if the things that they are doing or saying or believing are affecting other people, uh, then it might be time to to have that conversation. But if it's just, you know, relatively harmless, then you just kind of have to weigh it. I know for me, um, I did address some things with my father, and that's part of the reason that we no longer speak is because I did address some of those things. Um, but those were things that were, you know, legitimately hurting other people, right? Mm-hmm. You know, he, um, the things that he was doing were, were affecting other people in my life, and so I had to, to address that. Um, with my mother, uh, you know, the things that she says are, you know, they can be interesting or incorrect, but they're not necessarily hurting anyone. Um, and so, you know, I kind of just pick and choose my battles. And that's just, that's with being an anti-racist uh, or just an ally in general, you don't have to fight every single battle. You do have to kind of pick your battles, decide which ones are worth fighting and which mm-hmm. ones are worth devoting your energy to. And so, you know, there are a lot of things that I do in my personal life and, you know, my social life uh, that I devote my energy to that are helping to fight against certain mentalities, certain mindsets, certain actions. Um, you know, being a part of the Black Menaces is one of the ways that I'm doing that. And, uh, you know, my, my family knows where I stand on certain things. Mm-hmm. And that's just that. We just disagree and we just kind of choose not to talk about it. So, and, you know, as long as you're true to yourself, you know where you stand, your family knows where you stand, then you can just leave it at that, I would say. But uh, yeah. you got to add to that. I think, yeah, I think for me, I um as you've talked, I actually realized that there's more that I actually have gotten into disagreements with my family about. They're not really racial things. They're other things such as um, patriarchy, sexism, the way that, you know, women's roles, which my family, um, older black people are still pretty traditional and conservative in that way. And when it comes to issues with the queer community, (laughs) family is also pretty conservative about that. Uh, And also issues and interpretations of the gospel and the way my family all has different interpretations of the way they believe the gospel should be lived. And um, if certain people choose to follow certain commandments or don't, that interpretation within my family has been, you know, has caused contention. And so really just dealing with difference of opinions almost. But to me, certain things aren't just difference of opinions. It's almost like this is my this is how I view humanity, and this is, like, my morals, right? Because I feel like that's what you're asking here. This isn't just like, oh, I think blue is better than pink, and we just disagree about that. No, you don't see a black person's humanity. You don't see your own racism. And I understand how frustrating that can be on your end, particularly with my family, with my mother. Sometimes it's so difficult to have conversations about gender with her because she just believes things about women and men and places and things I just don't agree with that I think are extremely problematic and it's very frustrating but after getting in many arguments with her and different family members about issues in the queer community I I have just decided kind of like Nate what are my battles what do I really is this point of ending a relationship no do I think that this is problematic yes am I going to just lead with what I believe yes I've gotten, I think the old, because I've kind of believed this way since I was like probably like 15. So I've been getting in fights for the past, how old am I now? 23? Eight years with my family about different liberal topics and ideas. And I think now I've gotten to the point where I just live my life the way I want to live it. And I don't really care if my family agrees or disagrees with what I what I believe. And if they have questions about it, they know they can ask me. Um, 
And if something comes up, I'm going to defend any community that I feel like needs defending. I'm not going to, if my mom makes a homophobic comment, I'm going to say that's not okay to say. And if it leads to a discussion or argument, I try to stray away from the argument side, but I'm not, I like, that's my stance, right? Like, I'm not gonna talk about it actively with you, but if you make a comment that is against a marginalized community and is harmful, I'm going to let you know that that's harmful. And then I might not take it further with them, right? But I am going to stand up. And I think you just have to pick your boundary. That's my boundary. Say something that's harmful. I'm going to let you know it's harmful. I'm not going to go further. And you kind of just have to have to pick and let them know, I'm not going to discuss this with you anymore because you kind of want to say with what you're thinking. And I'm just letting you know that what you're saying isn't okay. And people will see the error in their ways and they will, they will change. Eventually, hopefully. I had a conversation with my brother a year ago about gay people I'm not going to expose what he said that's not my right but um he said things I thought just were not okay and that I think were he didn't believe were harmful but I did and you know a couple weeks ago he came to me apologizing and I don't say that to say that I was better than him at the time or he was worse but I let it go and I didn't talk about it with him for a long time because but he's had time to change and he really He's like, wow, why did I think that way? That was really wrong of me. It took a whole year, but hey, he's there, right? And that's what we want at the end of the day is for everyone to be more understanding and accepting. And if that means you don't talk about it for a year, that means you don't talk about it for a year. And you're just going to have to live your life the way you want to. And your family will either, they'll do one of two things. They'll either just not talk to you. And you might get to the point like Nate where you're not speaking with a family member. Or they're going to accept it. And most of the times they're going to accept it and be okay with it. And if they judge you, at the end of the day, you just kind of got to be cool with what you think. If they think that you're some liberal, whatever, or whatever they a label they try to associate with who you are, you just have to pretty much like just take it and realize it's not personal. And a lot of it more has to do with the way they've been socialized as well. And know that you're doing the right thing at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. That's why I, that's what I do. I believe that I know if I like, I'm not going to not say what I want to say or not believe what I want to believe because of my family, because that doesn't feel right to me. And so when I know that I can go to sleep knowing I'm doing what I believe is right, that makes me feel a lot better. Amen to that. Um, yeah. Also, the older people get, the harder it is for them to change. A hundred percent. That's what I've noticed. Well, I think there's like this idea that like after 25, it's kind of hard. Like when you're after your brain is fully developed, mm-hmm. which is at 25, I think for most people, it's hard to change certain core behaviors and beliefs. Yeah, I, th- I think it does get harder, but also you can still choose to change. This right? is true, 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 true. Where you can choose to be offended, you can choose to change. Um, and I think just that after a certain point, it uh, it becomes much harder to change unless you have some kind of like life-altering um, something happened to you that like really forces you to fo- like switch your mindset. That's I'm why we love all these biracial babies being born into these racist families. For real. It's, it's Ooh, real. That helped them a lot. It's That's real. sad, but mm-hmm. or people have a son or daughter who's gay or bisexual. Yeah, it'd be tough. But um, another thing I would recommend is if you don't already have a therapist, then I would recommend that you get one and talk to them about it. That's one of the things that helped me reconcile uh, my my beliefs and my feelings with the feelings of my family or my parents specifically because my all my siblings are great but my parents specifically um when i went and talked to my therapist 
he told, and I got very lucky. I, it was so random. I got a, a black uh, male therapist who had also been a member of the LDS church, but then like stopped going to the LDS church. It was, it was random, but I, you know, he, he was able to understand a lot of the things that I was talking about and where I was coming from on him. But one of the things that he helped me realize was that I felt invalidated by my family's beliefs because, uh, you know, the things that I believe and the things that I felt were so central to, to who I am were things that they disagreed with and it felt invalidating. And so what he helped me realize is that, you know, you don't need to feel invalidated by that. They're going to believe how they believe. They're not going to change. They're going to continue believing those things. And you just need to become your own person and not worry so much about what they think and how it's affecting you. Just focus on who you are, who, what you believe, and live your life accordingly. And so being able to kind of have that breakthrough in therapy was also a big help. And just talking about those feelings and uh, kind of being able to articulate what they were was monumental. So I would get a therapist if, uh, if you haven't done that already. Amen. Yeah, I mean, that's all I got. You want, you got anything to add? Nope, I think we hit it all, and it's really tough. And um, family's hard, and be, realizing you're different than the way you, your parents are is also hard in a lot of ways, but that's part of growing up. I think part of this isn't, like kind of what Nate was saying, isn't just a, it's not just a racial issue. Yes, that's bad, but also this is also a bigger part of life as well that's just like a hard lesson for everyone. But racially, it's, it's another layer, you know, when it's dealing with other things like that. So, yes, Ooh, that's that's like my biggest fear is that I will date a white man whose family is like that. I mean, I, I was dating a black man and his family thought that I was too. Uh, they didn't too say bad. this, but I think they thought I was too outspoken. I was too opinionated. And that's hard too, right? Because I'm like, dang, we both black. Like, what do you mean? And they were okay with, you know. Yeah, I think they had, they didn't say this directly, but the, the issues they had expressed about me, it was centered around, I think they just thought I was too opinionated. Mm. So someone's always going to have an issue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll tell you what, if you, if you got an experience with that, if you're dating somebody whose family is mad, crazy, or racist, or <laughs> hotep, then uh, email us. We want to hear about yes, it. Yes, we should do also, a whole yeah. podcast episode about that. We should. That would, yeah, we could do a podcast on dating. That would be fun. Yeah, because I could, I mean, I could go off about mm-hmm. my past situation. <laughs> we won't well, get into details yeah, today. Be sure to email us <laughs> at uh, blackmenacespodcast at gmail.com. Send mm-hmm. in your menace moments. Send in your questions. And uh, be sure to follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at Black Menaces. And be sure to subscribe to us on Patreon at The Menace Society. Thank you guys for tuning in again. And don't forget to always be a menace. And we're looking to choose. Yes. And we're looking forward to hearing about the ways you guys are being a menace um, in the emails. All right. Catch y'all later.